loving Heavenly Father. Do not reject the message 
about Jesus. And you will remember that the first readers of this letter uh, were in danger of doing just that. They were turning back to the old ways, the old covenant, uh, to the old laws of Judaism. They were under pressure to cut themselves loose from Jesus and go back to Judaism. And so in chapter 12, verses 18 to 24, where I want us to focus our attention, the writer gives them a comparison. A comparison between the gathering uh, of the people of God in the Old Testament and comparing that with the gathering of the people of God in the New Covenant through Jesus. It's a, a comparison between fear and joy. I wonder if you prefer horror movies or feel-good movies. Slasher movies or a nice romantic comedy. Do you prefer to feel frightened or feel the sort of happy sadness that comes from a good, nicely rounded off, happy ending to a movie? I'm sure we all say the latter, you know, we don't like being scared. But I, I'll be honest with you and say I actually quite like a good scary movie. When I grew up, I lived in a, the 70s were a magical time. Uh, it was sort of the, the strict view that children should be seen and not heard had kind of passed. And yet we hadn't sort of invented helicopter parenting yet. It was kind of a, a little in-between period where, you know, there just weren't that many rules, at least not in my house. And so I must admit, I was allowed to watch quite frightening and inappropriate movies at, at a fairly young age. I would never let my own children watch, but um, so I must admit, I, I do like a good scary movie, and the comparison that is being made here in verses 18 to 24 is between an earthly gathering, which struck terror into the hearts of those who were there, and a heavenly gathering, which brings joy to the hearts of those who participate. It's a comparison between the gathering of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, just three months after God brought them out of Egypt, and the church, us, now gathered around Jesus. Now, to be there at the bottom of Mount Sinai in those days in the Old Testament must have been a frightening experience. He says in verse 18, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touched the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Fire, darkness, gloom, the ominous presence of God making the ground shake. God's voice thundered. That's how Exodus chapter 19 records when Moses goes up onto the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments. And God comes down to Moses and meets him there. And Israel, confronted with this experience, say, we can bear it no more. It's always good to have a nice thunderstorm, isn't it? After, you know, a long dry period, you get that pleasant sound of, you know, good, thick, hard rain hitting the roof. It's quite pleasant, really. But sometimes thunder, you know, that unpredictable, loud thunder can be a little bit spooky, a little bit scary. This was part of Israel's experience when God came down to meet with Moses. And notice how the writer compares this experience from Exodus to the church as it gathers around Jesus. You haven't come to the mountain, you have come 
to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels from the joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abraham. Compare these two descriptions. It's not an earthly gathering like that of Israel, but a heavenly one. He's describing something that we will directly experience in the future. But it's not something that is entirely in the future. Notice in verse 20, 22, he says, you have come. He's describing, I think, with spiritual insight, the fact that our church gathered and others like it, whether it's 80 people or 8 people or 800 people is actually a part, even now, of a heavenly gathering which is taking place. The thing in the future which we look forward to is when the new heavens come down and the new earth meet together. That is the future hope that we look forward to, of a new heavens and a new earth coming together. But we need to be aware that what we are doing now of a heavenly gathering that is gathering around Jesus bringing praise and honour to him. See, he's not talking about the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury or some majestic cathedral. He's talking about us. He's talking about a small group of people meeting for a Bible study in a, in a house in a country where its Christianity is illegal. He's talking about Six people in, a, in an old church building in the middle of Western New South Wales. <coughs> now this comparison between Israel meeting God in Exodus and our meetings together, I think raised two very important issues. The first is how we view our church. And the second is whether or not we should still fear God. So let's consider the first one first. What do we think of our church, of the church? I think it's very easy these days to be a bit underwhelmed by church. When we view at our churches and the, the church that we go to from a worldly perspective, I think many parts of the church may look a bit weak or ineffective. But when we actually see, when we view our church with the spiritual lens that this passage gives us, we see that where Jesus is known as Saviour and Lord, where he is worshipped and served, it doesn't matter what that gathering really looks like, whether it's, you know, rock guitars in, in something that looks like a, a concert, uh, or, or a dozen people in a little country chapel, where Christ is truly Lord, that group of people is plugged into a spiritual reality which will outlast this world with all of its impressive human values. You see, there are different kinds of churches, I think. We know that. Uh, some going for you know more traditional forms of uh, clothing, buildings. Their sense of tradition may be what draws them to that approach to church. Uh, maybe they feel that church is significant because it uh, stands as part of long-held traditions uh, about how it does its services. Other churches, uh, I'm sure many of you have been ones that look a little bit, sound a bit more like <coughs> 
the same kind of space that they need, the same kind of size, the same kind of volume. I think perhaps one of the dangers is that we can start to think that the significance of our church comes from the degree to which we can be like a rock concert, or how traditional we can be, how faithful to the, to the traditions uh, we can be. You see, at one level, both approaches to church are fine, but the significance of church doesn't come from any of those visible external things. It comes because it is connected to Christ. Because the people in it are being made new by Him. We should not be so worldly as to despise the church. Not your church, not any church. Where Jesus is Lord and where His word is heard and taught. And we shouldn't be so worldly so as to praise a church because of any of those external visible things. Consider your church because it is truly connected to Christ. And the heavenly reality that is taking place now, we are now connected to that reality. Secondly, I think this passage raises for us in the comparison between Mount Sinai and the church as we gather today, raises the, the important question should we still fear God? But we are to fear 
in the way that is suggested by chapter 12, verses 28 to 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We know He loves us. We know He is for us. And yet we fear Him because He is the one who is to be obeyed. It's like the unlikely situation in Sydney, at least. If you were to see a person on the street with a gun, thankfully that is very rare, and almost always when that happens, they're a good guy. They are a policeman or a soldier. But I think we still have an element of fear towards that person. They have the authority and the responsibility over us. We have nothing to fear from them. They are there to do us good. And yet if you did something stupid, I always, whenever I'm lining up at, you know, McDonald's and there's a place by me, I always think, how bad would it be if I just reached the purpose? <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I'm to be in prison forever. How bad would that be? If we do something stupid, then we really should fear them, like grab their gun. But they are there for our good. God is there for our good. We should fear Him, not as someone unpredictable or whose love we are unsure of, but as someone who deserves our allegiance. Are we still in God? Absolutely. As Him who is to be obeyed. The book of Hebrews says to us that Jesus is better. And the book warns us, do not refuse him who is speaking to us. And the word of God is speaking to us. The word of God which says to a generation trained to reject absolute truth, it says it is true. Here at the expense of all other claims to know about God, here is truth. The word of God which says to a generation trained to reject the existence of the the relevance of God, it says God is there. And it is unspeakably horrible to fall into his hands unprepared. The word of God which says to a generation of Christians who are very comfortable in this world and were Jesus to return tomorrow, it might just come as a bit of an unfortunate interference with our Word of God says, This is not your home. You have a rest that is ahead of you. Do everything in your power to reach it. The Word of God says, To a generation with a flimsy view of human sin, it took nothing less than the precious blood of God's Son to bring it back to life. The Word of God, which says to a generation which looks to its own good deeds for assurance of salvation, bold confidence on the basis of the perfect sacrifice of Christ made once for all. Have you heard over these weeks the word of God which Hebrews speaks to us? Or is it just another distracting message that you need to tune out on all the other things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and that through him and the words of Scripture